IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast presented by Insurance Business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast. I'm your host and Ivy's managing editor, Paul Lucas, and today we're going to delve into an area of the industry that probably, from the outside perspective, appears quite confusing. Uh, Think marine insurance and you probably think of ships sailing across the ocean loaded with cargo or perhaps even the recent Suez Canal crisis. Uh, But what about inland marine? In what way blow the minds of those outside the industry seeing the word marine? Uh, This isn't, of course, about goods travelling over water. Instead, it covers products, materials, equipment when transported over land, whether that be, for example, by truck or train or or while temporarily warehoused by a third party. Uh, Traditionally, claims have revolved around collisions and cargo theft. But how has that changed in light of the COVID-19 pandemic and the various supply chain issues that have emerged? Um, To shed some light on this often overlooked area of the insurance industry, I'm delighted to welcome a genuine expert in the field. He is the Global Head of Inland Marine for Alliance Global Corporate and Specialty, or AGS for short, AGCS for short. He is Rich Soja. Uh, Rich, welcome to IB Talk. Paul, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so, Rich, before we delve into the sector, let's take a little a bit of a look at your career, because uh, if you don't mind me saying so, you're an industry veteran. Um, you were a marine underwriter with Crum and Forster in the 80s. You spent over two decades at Chubb in, in roles including global marine manager and global inland marine product line manager. Uh, from there, you spent time at both Aspen and Tokyo Marine before coming into the role you're in now. So tell us firstly, what got you into insurance and, and why marine became your focus? Well, there are some excellent specialized universities with risk management programs that prepare a young person to enter into the insurance field. And, and I wish I had gone to one of those, but like, like most of us, I just kind of fell into insurance. I, I had uh, three job offers coming out of college and the insurance offer paid me $500 more in annual salary. So, so the journey began. Um, But compared to some other lines of property and casualty insurance, marine is much less structured. Uh, It requires a more creative thought process uh, and bespoke solutions, and that really appealed to me. So after some time being in the field, uh, I just continued to pursue it. So it's not a case that you uh, particularly like to be on water? (laughs) Uh, Certainly not deep water, uh, but it, it, it involves something new every day and there you could, literally i've spent a life uh, a lifetime learning about different sectors of inland marine and it is and if, if you like lifelong learning it's a perfect place to be every day every day i walk in and realize how much more i don't know and that's that's a that's a healthy place uh, for for me to spend my career well when you look back on that career obviously it's spanned about 35 years now um what would you sort of pull out as the highlights or any uh particular claims for example that you worked out worked on excuse me that that stood out along the way yeah you know highlights i i really should attend job fairs and be a uh, proponent of the insurance industry because i'm a i'm a big fan of of convincing people to to join the sector um as I said, there, it's, there's truly a new challenge every day. For, for me personally, one of the, the key highlights has been the international travel required for some of the positions I've held. 
uh, marine insurance is, is truly a global business and understanding how this business is transacted, whether it be Asia, Latin America, Europe, Lloyd's, um, has been an important part of, of my education. As respects claims, you know, there is one claim that stands out over all the others. Milwaukee, Wisconsin has a, a baseball team named the Milwaukee Brewers, and they were years and years ago, they were building a retractable roof stadium that required some sophisticated rigging of roof panels into place. At, at a former company, I was the head of Inland Marine, and we wrote the builder's risk insurance for that stadium. So ensuring direct physical loss or damage to the, the building as it was going up. During a strong wind gust one day, the crane hoisting a roof panel collapsed and came crashing down onto the rest of the stadium. Um, unfortunately, some workers also tragically lost their lives, but that but we were ensuring the, the physical loss or damage to the to the roof panels and everything else. And that is from a gross loss perspective, the largest loss I've ever been involved with and the postmortems that were done in terms of the underwriting process, the claim settlement process, the different coverages that were triggered was one of the more fascinating experiences to go through. Yeah, sounded like a, a really amazing situation to be involved with. So, I mean, what did you what did you sort of gauge from that? What did you learn from that situation? You, I think you learned the repercussions of the decisions you make when you design an insurance program and provide the cover. So, the, the most obvious things, of course, you know, a roof panel falls onto the stadium and you pay the cost of the roof panel, but it's all the other expenses that come into play that are potentially triggered underneath the policy. Um, for example, the crane that was used to hoist the panel into place in the first place collapsed and couldn't be replaced. It was one of four or six of those types of cranes available worldwide and all the other ones that were in use. So it wasn't just a matter of pulling in another crane and starting all over again. So they had to totally re-engineer the methodology by which they would hoist the panels into place moving forward, which involved tandem lifts from two different cranes. So just rethinking all the expenses and in, in design costs that go into doing that, that's insurable underneath the program. You just need the right coverage afforded to be able to do it. Sure. And you mentioned as well, when, when sort of looking back at, at your career, one of the highlights being, you said that the sort of the global travel that's been involved, but I imagine that's been sort of hugely impacted over the last year. Obviously, I want to talk to you about sort of the impact of, of the COVID-19 pandemic on the sector at large a little bit later, but just talking about the impact that it's had on you personally, how difficult has this uh, made it for you to, to carry out your sort of day-to-day -day activities? I think all of us are amazed how well it came together, right? It's, it's the, the technology has allowed us to carry on with the vast majority of the work that we performed before. With that said, there are, and I've, I've heard this a thousand times, and I'll, I'll probably say it another thousand times because it's true, but it is a people business. And I'm fortunate that this, in a way, that this happened at this stage of my career because you know, I know a lot of people and I've got relationships um, and I, I've, I, I'm concerned about those who don't have as much tenure and who really 
th- are, are, are dependent upon building those relationships, and that's got to be extremely hard to do. Um, but so the basics of the job can continue. In fact, in some ways, it's actually improved. It's more, co- it's more cost effective. You've got to carefully manage it, but it can be more efficient. But there are, it's the softer elements of the job, I think, that are more difficult to pull together and building those relationships. Uh, conferences is an example. There are a few conferences that are going on right now that have a fraction of the attendance, not because we can't be pr- productive over a Zoom call, but that Zoom call can happen anytime now. And a lot of people went to conferences for the social relationship portion of it, uh, the dinners, the cocktail hours, uh, the side meeting over, over a cup of coffee in between sessions. And that's the part that you miss now. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can all relate to that. And just looking at your role, Rich, uh, obviously talked about um, you being the, the global head of Inland Marine at AGCS at the top of the program, but you are also as well the North American head of Marine. Um, so is there a, a natural correlation between the two roles and how close are they? So the, the North American regional role covers both ocean cargo as well as inland marine. Uh, I've got strong management teams in, in both sectors. My, my responsibility is for the North American results for, for both lines of business. The, the global role, the inland marine role, is more strategic and technical. It, it involves more interaction with our home office back in Munich, um, as well as with the board. There are a lot of planning elements as well as analytics involved in, in that portion of the responsibility. So give us a little insight then. What does a, a sort of a typical day look like for someone with a focus on inland marine? I know I'm biased, um, but I, I think it's the best place to be in the property and casualty in industry. Uh, on, on, on Monday, you look to ensure fine arts in a museum. As an underwriter on, on Tuesday, a new construction project. On Wednesday, musical instruments for an orchestra. On uh, Thursday, a radio and TV tower with millions of dollars of broadcast equipment. And then on Friday, a, a cold storage warehouse uh, with lots of cheese. So it's in, Inland Marine is really a collection of non-correlating lines of business under one roof, underwritten by specialists. And that's, that's kind of where I started. It's what I still do. And as I said earlier, you, you really do learn something new every day uh, because it touches so many places. There's a phrase, isn't there, that, that, that uh, you know, a, 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 a jack of all trades is an expert in none. So how do you actually manage to apply some expertise to all of those different areas? You, Paul, you, you sound like my senior management. Um, so they, they are right, rightfully concerned that we are applying the right level of expertise in, in all of those areas. And, and, it's, and it's a legitimate question. What's, what's unusual is that is, is the perspective. And I try to answer that question with a, com- with a comparison. So let, let's, let's say that this was package insurance instead. How could one underwriter possibly be an expert in all the issues associated with property insurance, inland marine insurance, which is underwritten underneath the package, casualty insurance, workers' compensation, automobile liability, and umbrella, how can one underwriter possibly know all of those lines of business, and yet we've got tens of thousands of those that do that successfully here in the United States every day? So all I do, I focus on one thing, 
I focus on direct physical loss or damage to covered property. That's all I do. Now, I do it for musical instruments and construction and transportation and fine arts and, and mobile assets. But all I do is ensure direct physical loss or damage to covered property. So compared to the package underwriter, my job's very easy. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? I certainly associate with it associate with it as an insurance journalist uh, you know all, all the sort of the the, the various different um, specialty insurances that there are and uh, it's 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 obviously a very difficult to, to sort of keep up with with all of the specialisms but let's take a look at the current um, inland marine environment and tell us how the space has been impacted by the pandemic because I'm guessing there must have been a significant impact uh, particularly I, I would imagine in, in approaches towards risk management it's 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 very true and we can take we can take the answer to that question a, a lot of different directions but at the end of the day it's really the, the client base that was the most impacted right so other than kind of the outstanding legisl um sorry the the outstanding issue of the closing of businesses and does that constitute physical loss or damage um the inland marine insurance industry results were not significantly impacted from a loss ratio perspective from COVID with one very isolated circumstance. So it's really more of the impact on, on our, on our customers, right? So we, so transportation and construction are two of the key components of what we do. Construction sites in certain States anyway, were shut down. Uh, we're not considered to be essential workspaces, at least initially. And that halted projects for thousands of, of, of ongoing construction sites, right? So a lot of our clients were just sitting. We'd vacant property, basically fenced up, uh, awaiting for regulation to allow them back on site. Once they got back on site, there were protocol changes in terms of social distancing and so on and so forth uh, that created some delay in construction, some, some redesign. So the construction sector that we insure for buildings going up was certainly impacted. Transportation, not all motor carriers were impacted the same way, but if you were hauling automobiles in March and April of 2020, your business probably wasn't that good. Um, if you're hauling med medical supplies, your business was probably doing better than before. So it really did vary within the transportation sector on 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 who was halted. So yeah, it it, it created it created some dynamics around how to ensure those two sectors because they were greatly impacted by the by the pandemic. And I said at the, the top of the program as well that the traditionally claims of revolved around collisions and cargo theft. I don't know if you'd want to correct me on that, but has that changed in light of the pandemic? Not really. I think um, those are, you know, collision and, and cargo theft, certainly ensuring goods in transit uh, remain um, very, very high on the, on the top of the list. Certainly when you get into other areas of, of inland marine insurance such as construction fire becomes a you know a, a huge peril as well I'm not sure I'm not sure the pandemic has has changed all of that there are some interesting claims that have happened indirectly or directly depending upon your perspective related to reactions to managing the pandemic so for example there's a, a solar a solar farm that required 
constant maintenance for the grounds to make sure that fire couldn't spread. They shut, they shut down the premises, can't do the maintenance, lightning strike hits, place catches on fire, right? That would not have happened had we not shut down that premises due to COVID. So there are some things that are, are not necessarily frequent, but have, have come up as a result of how we try to manage the pandemic. And there's also um, sort of an issue now as well, isn't there, around dri- sort of a driver shortage. Um, so just to, for some background here, so shipping volumes are, are sort of expected to, to stay strong as, as the econo- economy improves, um, but that's in turn sort of challenging freight pricing and, and shippers are competing for a limited number of, of drivers and trucks. Um, so tell us what's, first of all, what's prompted this, this driving shortage? Yeah, the, the, the driver shortage is really a chronic problem in the industry. Whenever I've been involved in giving presentations to brokers or the underwriting community, the, the lack of a sufficient number of qualified drivers is always an agenda item. Uh, long, hours, long hours on the road, long time away from family, nights sleeping in the cab. You know, the work, the work can be challenging. Uh, the median pay is around 50000 It's also an aging workforce. So the, the, the most recent shortage is exacerbated by the, the, the pickup in demand, but, but there may be other factors at play as well. The construction sector is picking up, which can compete for skilled labor. Um, in addition, I think stimulus checks may be providing an opportunity to stay off the road for a short period. So I think there's a few things going on now that took an existing problem and at least for the moment made it a little bit worse. So how are these sort of issues being addressed, I guess, both on the, the side of the, the logistics companies and, and also the, the motor carriers as well? You know, over, over the years, many things have been tried, but, but ultimately pay rises have to be part of the equation. Um, I, I like to make it a more sophisticated answer than that. But, you know, historically, the motor carrier industry is, is, is a tight margin business and driver pay is a key component of expense. But if you're competing for labor, especially at a specific point in time where, where there's other demand, then more salary has to be on the table. You know, so longer term driver retention and satisfaction efforts are also underway, such as driving academies, more comfortable high-tech cabin, more flexible scheduling and the like. But at, at the moment, I think you just got to pay people more. And, and, and there are issues as well, aren't there? Because when you do get that sort of influx of, of new drivers, you know, there's the questions to, as to whether they're, they're up to standard. So what sort of safety measures are, are being put in place to, to, to sort of vet this new wave? Yeah, the, the driver screening really isn't the, the most essential part of the hiring process, I believe. You know, there, there's strong investment in vehicle technology, driver training, protocols, but ultimately having a reliable person behind the wheel is what's going to make the difference. Uh, you know, there's more publicly available information today on uh, prior violations uh, and incidents that can be scrutinized uh, by those hiring, but but screening of the individuals has got to be the core of it. And give us some insights as well, Rich, onto sort of the, the other dynamics perhaps that are influencing um, the, the motor carrier industry right now. And, and tell us sort of about the impact that that's having on insurance as well. You know, it's, it's a really fascinating space and, and, and it's also a very regulated space uh, because of the public safety considerations. So, you know, some of these requirements add cost or time uh, or limit carrier flexibility, motor carrier flexibility. In, in a historically tight margin business, absorbing these costs can be challenging. 
So from, from an underwriter's perspective, the financial stability of a motor carrier is a primary consideration. It, it really drives their ability to properly vet drivers, perform regular maintenance, comply with the state and national regulation, and that all contributes to their likely loss experience. So the, procre- the, the, the procurement of insurance, at least on the inland marine side, is really driven by convincing the underwriter that you've got controls in place and have a reasonable chance of performing well. But there's some under, underpinnings to that and your ability to do the right things evidenced by your financial stability is, is a key consideration from our perspective. And, and I guess as well as with, with the market going through so many changes, um, insurers are going to have to work really, really closely with the, the transportation clients to, to mitigate um, the risks that they're facing. Can you give us some insight on that? You know, I've heard some numbers that 97% of all truckers have under 20 power units and 91% of all truckers have under six. So honestly, it's difficult to have a direct relationship with with that particular segment of the motor carrier population other than after the claim. Um, So our focus really is on larger clients where we can work more closely with their insurance agent to design coverage, provide various retention options, consult with their risk management team, and and especially on location-based exposures such as warehousing. So as an example, Allianz has an in-house engineering team. We've got different methodologies of working closely with them on on fire protection um, and, and other safety features that will allow the account to perform well. And you mentioned there, of course, about the insurance agent. And I'm wondering if you can just Give us some tips maybe for um, you know, our sort of agent and, and broker audience out there that are, that are working with carriers in this space and you know, trying to sort of get their head around these challenges themselves. So what would you say are, the, are sort of the, the key issues that they need to be aware of or surrounding in the marine right now and, and how can they go about addressing them? Yeah, and in, in fairness, I've never been an insurance agent, so I'll, I'll give you certainly my perspective on it sitting in my underwriting chair. But it's, it's a very specialized area, and, and coverages vary from insurance carrier to insurance carrier. The, the motor truck cargo coverage, meaning insuring loss or damage to goods of others in, in the trucker's care, is especially important as the claims process not only involves the trucker, but their client as well. So being with an insurance carrier with the proper claims expertise is important as there are customer considerations for the motor carrier in addition to the the balance sheet protection which is why they're buying the insurance in the first place yeah and is there much sort of difference between the the policies that are available out there are there any sort of you know key aspects that uh, the brokers should be looking for there are many differences um while there are some standard industry forms there are a wide variety of proprietary forms out there as well and there are different ranges of types of exclusions, buybacks for exclusions, extensions of coverage, and then some specialized areas such as the um, what's referred to as FISMA or the Food and Safety Modernization Act. There's coverages out there that might not apply because direct physical loss or damage did not occur, but the goods might be deemed damaged um, based upon regulation and there's specialized wording that can address that. So having an insurance carrier that has that 
type of coverage available um, could be a consideration if you're hauling uh, food products. Yeah, I think that's a, a great tip. And, and Rich, while you've obviously devoted um, your career to, to all things marine, I know that you do have a, a busy life outside the industry as well, um, and you're even a, a distance runner. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your running? Uh, do you ever compete? <laughs> I, I've, <clears throat> I've never had enough talent to compete. Uh, I, I normally start out slow and, and then just stop altogether. Um, but with that said, I, I have run at least one marathon in my 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, we'll have to wait and see about, about the 60s. At, at this stage, though, um, a half marathon is, is about as much as, as I can do. Um, in fact, I've, I've got one coming up this weekend. So what's your schedule then in terms of training? Are you up very early to, to run? You know, it really varies depending upon if I'm training for something. Um, I, I normally try to run four to five days a week, normally short distances, and then save a race for the weekend. If there's if, if there's one available and racing's back, it's very different. It's socially distanced. There's waves that span uh, 20 runners at a time in half-hour increments for hours, where before you'd have 5,000 people at a starting line in Central Park. So it, lo- it looks very different, uh, but it's just good to have it back. And, and, and of course, when, when you're not running as well, you're also um, a fan of live musical performances. But I, I think we're talking more opera than heavy metal. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I'm not sure I know exactly where the opera thing came from. Um, for, for a short period of time, I lived on the Upper West Side. And from my apartment, you literally could see Lincoln Center. And I had never heard an opera in my life. But in the year I lived up there, I walked by the opera house every day and they would have live performances, not performances, but uh, live um, broadcasts uh, on, on the square. And a, a few times I just stopped and listened, got curious, and then decided to attend one and sort of got hooked. And I've now been to over a hundred operas and six different opera houses in four countries. And so it's just become, it's become like my, my latest fascination, um, which is quite a change from the years attending uh, country music concerts. And is there, uh, you know, for, for the uninitiated, of, of which I am one, um, is there a, an opera that you perhaps recommend for a beginner to, to try to, you know, to see if it's for them? <laughs> Not German opera. <laughs> Let's start with that. Um, although my, my, fa- my favorite uh, would, would be what's referred to as the Ring series uh, <clears throat> by Wagner. But yeah, a, a starter opera would, would be uh, Aida, uh, Turandot. Um, those, those, are, those are two good, uh, big, grand opera, fun, and, and keep, your, keep your focus. So those, those would be two recommendations. All right, Rich, you've been a fascinating guest and I've really appreciated your time. Um, if anybody wants to, to reach out to you on the back of this podcast, how can they get in touch? Yeah, I've got a profile on LinkedIn that, that contains a fair amount of information. So that's that's probably the easiest. I'm, I'm happy to respond to any inquiries uh, through, through that method. Great stuff. Rich, uh, thank you very, very much again. Uh, I think you've shed a lot of light for us on a, on a difficult sector. Uh, so my huge thanks to you for your time and, and to everybody listening. Uh, thank you for joining us and uh, we'll talk to you next time on IB Talk. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts.